Anybody thankful for the presence of the Lord today? Hallelujah. So as I thought about what I would preach as we gathered back together and began that process, even though we're, it's not like normal, pipe and drape here is spread out, the chairs are spread out, families are six feet apart or, or more, and, and so I, I thought about preaching about when the church is gathered together, and, and, I, and I may do that, but decided to go a little bit different route. In fact, one of the verses I opened with in one of our live stream only services was the psalmist when he said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And of course, for them, it was they were going to the house of the Lord because that was the place where they could feel the presence of God. It was localized to that. But for us, when you have God in your life, it, you don't have to be in a building, you don't have to be in a sanctuary, that wherever you are, He is present and He can be with you and He is there with you. In fact, whenever there are small crowds or even during this time we're live streaming and people would use the, the phrase or the verse where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, and, and that's true. But the reality is you don't even need two or three. In that context, it's about something different than it is about just His presence. So wherever you are, if you've got the presence of God and the Spirit of God living inside you, wherever you are, He is. And you can feel Him and experience Him. But I am glad that we are here today. But I'm not going to preach just about us being gathered, but going to preach about the fact that we are the church. We are the church. I turn your attention to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And it says this, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. One more time. You are a chosen generation generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I'm going to preach for just a little bit that we are the church. We are the church. And I, I, I was looking at images that I could use for, for this idea. Uh, and of course, you can find a lot of images of people in service, worshiping God, and, and I was like, well, you know, that's, all these pictures, man, they've got hundreds or thousands of people in them, and I was like, that's, that's not us, and so I saw this picture, and they're holding hands in this picture, and, and I, I said, oh, that's, that's a good, man, that's a good picture, it talks about community, and the fact that we're together, and put that out on Facebook, and put that out on Instagram, and about 20, 30 minutes after I put that on Instagram, I got a text from my son. and said, that's probably not the best image to use with people holding hands. But that's all one family right there. So they're just holding hands together, just, just one family. So you could do that if you're in the same house. So that's, that's my story, and I'm, I'm sticking with it. But we are the church. People have conflated 
uh, items and brand names frequently. Uh, you take an object and, and you have a brand name, and, free, and sometimes, depending on the, the quality of the brand name, that people will take something like a facial tissue. It's, that's what it is. It's a facial tissue. But if you're like me, you grew up, you didn't call them facial tissues. You called them Kleenex. Anybody did that besides me? You, you, it's, it's a Kleenex. And, and the reality is that Kleenex is a brand name of a facial tissue, but whether it was the first or the most popular or the best, I don't know. Most people don't go and ask for a facial tissue. Now, if you go to Walmart, you go to the grocery store, they says facial tissue on the sign there and how you find that. But for me, it's a Kleenex. And I, and I have conflated Kleenex and facial tissue and just put them together. It's, that's what it is. And so I was raised in, I was born in Mississippi, raised in Louisiana. And, of course, this is different all over the country. But you have soda. Depending on where you are, if you have a carbonated beverage, uh, a soft drink. Some people in some parts of the world, they call it soda. Some people in other parts of the, of the U.S., they, they call it pop. But if you're from Louisiana, it's a Coke. It's not a soda, it's not a pop, it's not a soft drink, it's a Coke. And in fact, if you go to a restaurant and, and you say, I'll take a Coke, they don't just say, okay, they like, they're like, what kind? Well, you know, I think I'll take Sprite today. And Coke has become, uh, basically it is synonymous in the South, or at least in Louisiana where I grew up, it is synonymous with a soft drink of, of whatever type of variety, and maybe it's because it was the first, and no doubt it's because it is the best that we call it a Coke. And there are, unfortunately, people who do that kind of thing with the church, where they will conflate the church, which are the people with the building, or they will conflate the church, which is the people, they will conflate that with an action that you do. For some, it is the building, and they're like, we're going to go to church. Church is the location. Church is what we do over here, it's, or it's an action. It's we're going to have church. It's a it's what we're doing now. There are people say, we're having church, and it becomes more of a, a verb, and it's, it's an action that you do, or it's a place that you go. But the reality is that the church is not a building, and, and it's not even an action. The church is the people of God. That the church are God's people, and, and we are gathered here today as God's people. And so that makes this building a church building because the church is here. It's, we're not the church because we're in a building called the church, but the building is called a church because we are here. There are, of course, a number of metaphors in the Bible that are used for the church. The, the church is called the bride of Christ. It is the body of Christ. And even the metaphor of a building is used that God is taking and building a body or building a, a, a thing that he calls the church. But he's not talking about a physical building like this. He's talking about people that he's putting together and, and, and he's putting them together as a building. And so the church is not a location. The church is not an action. The church is the people of God. The text that I read to you, 1 Peter 2.9, familiar passage of Scripture, and, and it starts off with, the word but, 
but, which is a contrast about what has gone before. So Peter has, has talked about the things that, something that has gone before, and he is juxtaposing what has gone before with what he's getting ready to say about God's people and what he's getting ready to say about the church. In verses 6 through 8, he says this He says, Therefore, it is also contained in the scriptures Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. So he lists out the fact that Jesus is the chief cornerstone, and all of these things. But he says the people who are not part of the church, they stumble over that stone. They can't get past it. And so what he's really doing is he's setting up this distinction between believers and non-believers. He, he's saying that the believe, to believe is to obey the gospel. It's not just a mental ascent. It's not just that I believe this to be true, but because it is true, I act, and because it is true, I obey. And he says, ultimately, to disobey is not to believe. We live in a culture where people believe a lot of things. People say a lot of times that they believe in, in God or but they believe the gospel, but they don't obey the gospel. They don't obey what the Word of God says. And so the reality is you can say that you believe it, but if you don't live it, if you don't obey it, it's just mere words. And he says, we are not like these people who stumble at God's word. We, we actually believe and we obey what is going on. We're not rejecting the person of Christ. We are following Jesus Christ. We're not rejecting his word, but we are following his word. In that last verse, verse 8, it says, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. And that's an interesting phraseology, the way he uses that. He says, they stumble over the same word that they were appointed to. It's not that the church has a different word. It's not that we have something unique and something different that nobody else has heard of. But he says here that these people, they had the word. They had the same word, but they chose to ignore it. They chose to disobey it. They were appointed to the same word that you and I have. And of course, I'm going to come around and we'll talk about evangelism at the end of this message. But there are people, of course, today, and maybe not in the context of what Peter's talking about, there are people today who haven't heard the gospel, and that is our responsibility. It is our calling, as we will talk about at the end so he says we're not like them but he then lists out a number of things that we are like he says first of all we are a chosen generation we are chosen by god the bible tells us that many are called but few are chosen that god calls everyone and wants everyone to be in relationship with him he wants everyone to repent he wants everyone to see and experience salvation. He wants everyone to experience the new birth. But unfortunately, not everyone does. But the people who respond to His call are the ones that He calls the chosen. 
They are the elect. And the, the Greek word here is electon, which means the elect of God. That means chosen by God. It, that when we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not just like everybody else, but now we are the chosen. We're not just called, but we are chosen by God. And, and God has a timetable for all of this. And, and I think possibly that part of what Peter is getting at when he, when he uses this, this term, chosen generation, is not only are we elect of God, but Paul said in Galatians 4, 4, he says, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, that there was a time appointed by God when all of this would happen, when Jesus Christ would come upon the scene and that you and I would have the opportunity to be saved. It was a generation that was chosen to be present when Jesus came and we are now engrafted in and part of that chosen generation today. Generation, though, is more than just a time period. In fact, the word can mean a number of things. It can mean a particular people. Or in some translations, New American Standard, among them, it uses the word race. They translate it a chosen race. But the reality is that it's not a black or white thing. It's not a red or yellow thing. It's not about your ethnicity. But we are a chosen people of God. We are chosen by God. And when we respond to Him and come into relationship with Him, we are now part of His people, part of this generation, part of the race of God's people. Revelation tells us that heaven will be made up of every nation, every kindred, every tongue, Every people. It's not about ethnicity at all. It's not about where you were born or, or what nationality you may have been. It's not about any of that, but it's when you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we're now together. We're now one people. We're now a chosen generation. We are the elect of God. Oh, can somebody say amen? Aren't you glad that you know who Jesus is and that you're in relationship with Him today? He's but not only are we a chosen generation, he says we are a royal priesthood. Royal priesthood. He, this parallels actually Exodus 19 and 6. Where he says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you will speak to the children of Israel. Some... 2,000 years before Jesus comes on the scene, there's a prophecy that, that God's people would be a kingdom of priests. They would be a holy nation. And we'll look at that holy nation in just a moment. But the royal aspect of that speaks to kingliness. It speaks to royalty. And, and while we're not born as royalty in, in our uh, natural and biological births, we are adopted into the royal family. I, and we don't have royalty here in... In the United States. And in fact, the, the really, there's, while there's royalty in a number of different nations around the world, the only one we really talk about is the, the royal family in England. And it's a big deal if you're going to get into the royal family. They don't adopt you into the royal family. You have to marry into the royal family. And, and there's all kinds of things you have to do and all manner of things you have to agree to and, and the things you can do in, in person and thing you, things you can't do and I even heard the other day my wife was looking at something they, they can't even play Monopoly 
because some one of the people, however far back, decided it was not a very nice game. And so if you're a royal person, in it, you can't play Monopoly. They're not going to McDonald's. They're not just going out in any kind of clothing. They have to have a special attire and approved outfits and all of these different things. And I'm not sure I want to be in that kind of fishbowl and that kind of royalty. But when we come into the family of God, we are adopted into a royal family. That we are the people of God and He is King of kings. And that means that we are His children. And that means we're priests and uh, our princes and princesses and whatever else you want. We are part of that royal family. Just call me Duke Mark from now on. But we are in the royal family. But it's not just the royal aspect of this, but he says you are a royal priesthood. The Old Testament priesthood was limited to a number of people. You had to be of the tribe of Levi. If you weren't a Levite, you didn't get to be a priest. But even if you were a Levite, you didn't necessarily get to be a priest. To, to be a priest meant that you were a, a part of a certain family within the tribe of Levi and you had a certain pedigree and you had a certain calling and a certain uh, process that you went to through to be a, a priest in the Old Testament. But he says of us that we are all priests. That we are, it's not about who you are, it's not about some, uh, some special family that you're part of, it's not about even a special calling, but, but you are all part of the free priesthood. And, and the Bible tells us there is the priesthood of believers, that every believer is a priest. And part of what that means is this, is that you don't need somebody else to go into the presence of God for you. In the Old Testament, the high priest only one time every year would get to go into the presence of God would get to go into the holy of holies but now we are all royal priests and that means that we are not only kingly but we are priests and we can all go into the presence of God anytime we want as we talked about earlier all you have to do is call upon him and his presence is manifest and revealed to you today that wherever you are you can be and enter into his presence we don't have to you don't have to ask me to petition God for you. You can go to Him directly. You don't have to have some saint in the past that can, can talk to God for you. You can go directly to Him. You can go directly into His throne room because you are priest. You are royal priesthood today. Anybody thankful that you don't have to go through somebody else to get into the presence of God today? But you can go directly into the throne of grace. We are a royal priesthood let me hurry the next thing he says is that we are a holy nation and i'm going to do this briefly but to be holy is to be set apart to be holy is to be different to be holy means that you're not like everything else in the old testament god would set apart things that things would become holy because he would set them apart he would set apart the tabernacle and, and the individual furnishings within the tabernacle. And he would say, these are holy unto me. That they are set apart. They're not to be used just any way, but they're to be used precisely and, and in certain ways. 
And because of that, they're holy, and they're only to be used for godly things. And he would set apart people, and he would call them holy because they were different than everybody else. But now, when you come into the church, and when you become part of the people of God, all of us are holy. All of us are set apart. All of us are now used for God's purposes. And Peter uses... That phrase from Exodus, he says, you're a holy nation. Which is interesting terminology, but, but maybe not so interesting in the light of what he's doing in 1 Peter. Because he, he talks frequently. In fact, he begins this epistle, this letter, he begins with talking about we're pilgrims just passing through. That He says, we're not of this world says this world is not our home we're, we're just passing through it's only a temporary thing he says but we are a holy nation that while they're living under roman rule and they may be in in galatia or they may be in israel or maybe any other region around the, the then what he says the people of god are a holy nation that they are a nation of people. It's not about the fact that I was born here in the U.S. And, and, and I'm happy and proud to be a citizen of the United States. But what's more important is that I am part of God's holy nation. That this world is not my home, but I have a heaven that I'm going to go to and a home that I'm looking forward to spending eternity in with Jesus Christ. We are a holy nation. And I would tell you, don't get too caught up on being here because this is not the end all be all but heaven is what i'm looking forward to i think it was probably our first our first live stream of course and everything was it's an interesting uh we've had some interesting experience experiments and finally got things most you you know the same and we're, we're not making too many changes it is what it is, whether good or bad, but it's, we've got all, a lot of the bugs worked out. But I, but I remember that first service we did a live stream, March 22nd. I don't know that I've ever actually prayed this or said it. I've read it numerous times. It's the end of the, the book of Revelation. But I'm standing right over here to the side of the platform before we went live. And I said, that phrase from the end of the book of Revelation, even so, come Lord Jesus. That, that I, there was just something about what was going on in our world and in our nation and we can't get out of our houses and we're all in this lockdown and I'm like, man, this is, this is I'm just ready to go because this world is not my home. And, I, and I'm looking forward to getting back to normal or whatever the normal is going to be, but this world is not my home. We are part of a holy nation. And there is coming a day when the trumpet's going to sound and we're going to be caught up together to meet Jesus in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Anybody looking forward to that day besides me? And the reality is we shouldn't just be looking forward to that when things are bad, but even when things are good, it can't compare to what we're going to have with spending eternity with Jesus Christ. Because no matter how good it is down here, there's no streets of gold and gates of pearl and wall of, walls of jasper. But ultimately, what's going to make heaven heaven is that we're going to be in His presence forever. We are a holy nation. And then Peter uses this 
another phrase, he says, we are God's own special people. We are a purchased possession. And when you look at the, the Greek words behind this, it's not just we're special because we're special. We're special because we are purchased by God. That He has purchased us and brought us into the church and brought us into the people of God. And, and I know we talk about it at Easter and various times, but your salvation was not free. It's free to you, but it cost Jesus everything. And through His death on the cross, He purchased your salvation and mine. His sacrifice was big enough for the whole world. It was costly enough to cover the sins of all of the world. But there are a lot of people that don't want to be purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. They want to do their own thing their own way. But when you come into relationship with Jesus, what you're saying is, Lord, I, I, I'm glad that you went to the cross and purchased my salvation. And, and I want to let you pay it all. I don't want to pay for my sin. I don't want to pay for my disobedience. I don't want to pay for any of that. But I'm allowing you to purchase me. We were purchased at the cross and he purchased us for himself. And what I would tell you is there is no buyer's remorse with Jesus. There is no return policy. There's no, well, I'm going to try this out. and Maybe I, I'm going I'm to try them out and see how they do. It. And if I don't like them, man, I'll, I'll take them back. But th there's no buyer's remorse. Anybody ever bought something you thought you really wanted it? And then after you bought it, you're like, man, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Anybody, the first thing you do after you buy something, or maybe even before you buy it, you look at the return policy just in case? There's none of that with Jesus. He knows who you are. He knows what He wants you to become. He knows all about you. And so He's not looking to get rid of you. He's not having buyer's remorse. But He has purchased you and placed you into His family. He has placed you into the church. And He's happy that He went to the cross for you. Why don't you just lift your hands right now. Would you thank Him for what He did at the cross? Jesus, we thank You for the sacrifice You made. That You have purchased us with Your blood. That you have brought us into your family. You have brought us into the church. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We are his own special people. And, and then I'm going to jump down to the last phrase before going back to the second to the last. But we are in God's marvelous light. Before. We were in relationship with Jesus. We were in darkness. We couldn't see where we were going. Everything that we were involved in was darkness. It was sinful. It was bad. There was nothing. The Bible says there is nothing good in us. And the Bible equates darkness with sinfulness and light it, it, with righteousness. And he, he says we, are, we were in darkness, but he has brought us out of that darkness into His marvelous light. We are talking about this before service. This room is fairly dark. 
especially there where we've opened up the sides. I can see that there are people there, but if I didn't know who you were, I wouldn't have a clue what you looked like over there. See the people in the middle? And unfortunately, I'm standing in the lights. So you have to look at me. We were talking about, you know, when you come out of that bright hallway, it's really dark when you step in here. Once, you, once you're in here, though, your eyes get adjusted and you get used to the darkness. And the reality is that, that many people, they're used to the darkness. Their dark vision is, is okay and, they, and they're happy with that. They don't really know what they're missing until they come out of the darkness and into His light. I was raised in church and... Being raised in church, you know, it wasn't like I was at an early age. I, I, I wasn't abused. I didn't have a bad family upbringing. Just, but there was still an excitement at the age of 11 when I was filled with the Spirit of God, evidence of speaking of tongues, and I was baptized. There was an excitement because now I, I was different. I was out of darkness into His light. The word for church... And the Bible is, is a compound Greek word. It's ecclesia. Or you may have heard it pronounced ecclesia. Or you've heard ecclesiology. And that's the study of the church. But those two words, it's, it, mean, it comes from the Greek word ek, ek, and kaleo. And what it means is we are called out. We are called out of darkness. We are called out of sin. We are called out of the world system. We're called out of all of the things that, that God doesn't want us doing. We're called, not just called out of that to just nothing, but we are called out of that and we are called to Him. That when you become a part of the church, you're called from the world and to His body. You're called out of the world and to become a part of His people. We are out of darkness into His marvelous light. And Peter says there is a reason that all of this is true. That you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of that darkness into His marvelous light. That the reason we're, we're saved is so that we can proclaim the praises of God. We proclaim His praise in the way in which we live. We're different than the world. We're set apart. We live and we, we have different values and we have different things that are important to us. And, and our manner of life is different. Our attitude and our character and all of those things should be different. We are proclaiming His praises in the way in which we live. We proclaim His praises in the testimonies that we tell when, when we talk about how He saved us or what He's brought us out of or what He's healed us from or all, whether it's disease or whether, how He's provided for us. And, and when we tell people what God has done for us, we are proclaiming His praise. He called us out of darkness into light so that we could proclaim His praise. We're all of those other great things, but there's a purpose behind it. He didn't do it just so we could be in a vacuum. 
He didn't do it just so he could say, well, I called some people out. These people who are called out are to proclaim His praise. We proclaim His praise in the way we live, as I mentioned, the testimonies we tell. But we proclaim His praise also in the gospel that we share. See, not everybody is a chosen, part of that chosen generation. Not everybody is in the royal priesthood. Not everybody is a holy nation. Not everybody is God's own special possession. Not everybody has been called out of darkness in the light. So what he has saved us for is to proclaim his praises so that others would be part of that body that you and I are part of. So that other people could be part of the church. So that other people could experience what you and I have experienced so other people can experience all the things that God has for them. So other people can experience an eternity with Jesus Christ in heaven. And not an eternity apart from Him in hell. We are to proclaim His praise. Through the gospel we share. Let's stand together. I haven't said that in nine weeks. We are the church. We are the people of God. And I don't know about you, but I'm happy to be part of the people of God. I'm excited to be part of the people of God, part of the church. It was the evening of November 14, 1970, Southern Airways Flight 932 at McDonnell Douglas DC-9, which Huntington, West Virginia's Marshall University chartered to transport the Thundering Herd football team to Greenville, North Carolina, via Stallings Field in Kingston, North Carolina, and then back to Huntington. As they were going back, they clipped trees on a ridge just one mile short of the Tri-State Airport in there in West Virginia, and they crashed into a gully. The team was returning from its game against the East Carolina University Pirates. They lost 17-14 to 14 that day. There were no survivors. In all, 75 people lost their lives. The deceased included the 37 players, head coach Rick Tolley, and five members of his coaching staff the athletic director, the athletic trainer, his assistant, 25 boosters, and five crew members. In the wake of the tragedy, the university president wanted to suspend the football team, but he was ultimately persuaded to reconsider by the pleas of the Marshall students and the Huntington residents, and especially the few football players who didn't make the flight. He hired a young new coach and one previous member of the coaching staff who was not on the flight. They rebuilt the team in a relatively short time. They were aided by the NCAA's waiver rule prohibiting freshmen from playing varsity football. 
they decided they were going to have a football team. The student body used the rallying cry of we are Marshall. It went from tragedy to trying to rebuild. But wherever they went, say we are Marshall. That's a fairly common phrase today. Whatever your school or, or whatever team you're a part of, we are. You use that as a rallying cry. And, and for most people, there's no tragedy like they had at Marshall University, no rebuilding, just a pride that we are Marshall. So today I tell you that we are the church. It's not just we are cross church and and that's true, but there's more to the church than what we're doing here. But we are the church. And in a world where the church is being put down and the church is they're trying to minimize the church, I just tell you to say this we are the church. So when the world is is against you, we are the church. When when things are going bad, we are the church. When, the, when the, the night is very dark, we are the church. That regardless of what's going on around us, we are the church. Anybody thankful to be a part of the church of Jesus Christ today? Jesus, we love you. Praise you, Lord. We praise you. And so I, I'm not going to have you come to the front. We're going to try to be our, do our best to stay safe. But just right where you are, as they begin to sing and play, would you just reach out to him would you lift your voices your hands your hearts and would you talk to him today you can make this song your prayer whatever you want to do but would you just reach out to him today